Welcome to episode one of Quick Chat, A Young American View. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy your time here. Welcome to our first podcast. My name is uh, Joe. This is my friend, Jeremy Beeman. Um, hey. The plan over time is to be... Uh, is to look at different articles and things that are happening around the country and just kind of systematize our thoughts uh, and just kind of chat about it. I just want to thank everyone for listening in. Um, Jeremy, if you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am a student currently in uh, Mobile, Alabama. I'm studying English and philosophy. I have a, a primary interest in politics. Right now, I'm in an, uh, right now as I speak, I'm in Washington, D.C., doing a summer journalism fellowship with the Washington Examiner and looking to do political reporting and uh, commentary and stuff like that in the future. Uh, but yeah, like, like Joe was saying, our interest in doing this podcast is just sort of to, uh, to get our opinions out there, so to speak, hopefully um, to, to win some cred and, uh, and just to kind of get it, give a, a young conservative perspective to to some of the issues that our country is facing yeah and uh kind of like he said i uh yeah i think it's good that we're bringing such a young angle to what we're doing and a little bit about me before we uh get going we're going to examine one article today for our first podcast but i currently live in uh washington state in a little town between tacoma and seattle called fife uh, it's a small town, and it's a different world from Mobile, Alabama, where I uh, moved from and met Jeremy, uh, you know, roughly a year ago. Um, it's just a different world, so it's always good to sit down with friends and discuss uh, different thoughts. I currently work at a church plant and work in the uh, uh, home care industry at an office, and uh, you know, life is just great. But politics and and literature and philosophy, those are some of my. Um, main interest and I think this is a good way to examine those. Are you going to talk about your wife? Yeah, briefly. Uh, my wife is Kayla. She is amazing. Uh, we are current, well, I'm not pregnant, but she is pregnant. Uh, about seven months pregnant now. The baby's due in September and we could not be more excited to welcome a little child into the world. We're not finding out the gender. Um, it's like Christmas, as Kayla always says. Uh, and we, we just can't wait for little baby Duke to be around. So. Wait, 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 wait. The, the baby, did you just say you're not finding out the gender until Christmas? Isn't the baby due in, like, September? No, the baby's due in September, but not finding out the gender is a surprise, like Christmas, when you get you're treating your baby. You're treating your baby like a Christmas present? No, the, the surprise itself is. Hmm. Hey, it's not, I don't say it. I don't say it. Let's clarify that. That sounds like the commercialization of a birth. Maybe. And, you know, maybe that's just the uh, American way to do things, the red-blooded American way. Hmm. <laughs> well, anyways, that's uh, that's us, too. And, again, that we're just glad that, you know, if you took time to listen in, we're glad that you're here. Um, so, Jeremy, do you want to introduce the article that we'll be looking at briefly today? Yeah, I saw – I'm just reading through it. I saw this, this article, some passages in it tweeted out today by – uh, Emily Jashinsky, who's one of the commentary writers at the Examiner, and uh, sort of some of the things that stand out is or are the the propositions that the, the Book of Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible uh, 
is somehow being treated as a Republican book because Republicans cite from cite Proverbs quite often. There's also this this argument that Proverbs is somehow uh, a source of confirmation bias for Marco Rubio. So the article is about Marco Rubio and him, the fact that he tweets daily sections of the Bible. Uh, but <clears throat> as our argument, it, it, it is from from a professor at Yale Divinity School. So he's he's an authority, but that doesn't mean he can't be wrong about some things or sort of misguided about some things. Uh, I, first of all, I don't really understand the point so much of him making this argument. I think a part of his point may be that sort of the, the furthering of the idea that Republicans are are traditional religious people, which is generally true, but that they they always have to bring their religion somehow into uh, into their politics. Now, I wonder, Joe, what do you, what do you think? I mean, you mentioned in a previous discussion that that the, the Bible is not a political book, uh, aside from certain passages, uh, certain statements from Jesus and Paul, but it's generally not a political book. I mean, what do you think? But and this is kind of the issue of politics and and religion and its role in public life is has been a prominent discussion since since the founding and before. Um, do you think that the two should be divorced from each other? Do you think they can be divorced from each other? I find it difficult to divorce them. I've been reading a book lately entitled The Spirit of Early Christian Thought, and one thing that it's really showed me is how the language and thought found within the Bible really shapes the worldviews of those who interact with the Bible. And it's we can't deny the religious history of the United States. It's very obviously there. Um, you see Puritans fleeing England uh, for religious freedom. You see uh, you know, over the years, that just kind of morphed as, as Protestantism, Protestantism exploded across the country. Uh, I, I read an article recently. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, so I, uh, it's from the Washington Post. But it, it's about the politicization of the Southern Baptist Convention and just Southern Baptist in general. So I think it's a very hard um, thing to divorce Scripture and politics because of how ingrained it is in society. Uh, I do think we're coming up to a time where it's becoming more difficult to maintain a consistent biblical view in the world at large. And I think that's kind of what Republicans are running into here. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, yeah. So Republicans... Well, yeah, and, and I'm not going to, you know, we're not here to argue theology, um, but generally Republicans would say that they have a more conservative view of the Bible, that they, they um, you know, they would argue argue things from... A different viewpoint than, let's say, a, a, a more progressive person would. So we'll say that someone focuses more on love over judgment. And I'm not saying that's necessarily true for all Republicans. I'm just saying when there's a conservative reading of the Bible and the major a major political issue of the day is how to handle the poor in our country, and then a Republican tweets a, a quote um, from Proverb or a, a verse from Proverbs talking about uh, uh, you know being poor and how people should work for their money and, and this is the tweet that we're talking about from Marco Rubio it says as dogs return to their vomit so fools repeat their folly Proverbs twenty six eleven 
and just with the current political climate uh, around how Democrats are handling health care and, and education reform and everything, uh, it, in a lot of ways it seems like an underhanded way um, uh, to refer to, to Democrats. But so you think? Oh, you, you think that the the use of the proverb was a sort of a swipe at Democrats? I, I would say that yes. You know, I'm not Marco Rubio. I'm not in his mind. Um, but I don't think. This could have been is, a swipe at Republicans for sure. And, and it could have, yes. Because they're quite bifurcated. Yes, I agree. But this is where uh, I want to take a brief second to explain what I meant earlier. Uh, I don't think that that was meant for politics, right? Uh, many people appropriate verses for things going on in their life and say this is what this uh, is saying. Mm-hmm. And, but they take it out of the context of the historical narrative of Scripture. They, t- they take like the one saying and say, oh, this is what this is saying. I, I have to apply it to, you know, this is Democrats. You need to read the, read the Bible or Republicans. You need to look at what you're doing right now and examine it against Scripture, which I, I don't think that's, you know, what it's for. I, I think it's for, their, for your personal life, right? I, I mean, uh, we, we examine. See, there's such a danger there, I think. Yeah, explain what you mean. Well, go ahead and finish what you're going to say, and then I'll, I'll uh, explain what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I was basically finished, so you can go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you do have, I think, in terms of contextualization, or, or whatever, uh, when, you're, when you're sort of talking about it in theological terms, and, and you're trying to discuss certain... Uh, elements of doctrine or, or whatever that obviously the contextualization is necessary so that that you can get at the true meaning but it's not I don't think it's fair to say that or to sort of separate the two and say that you know proverbs can't be used to sort of apply to an understanding of what's going on uh, in in your life or in American political life or uh, or whatever that that's sort of why I think the two meaning religion and, and public life can never be despite this the separation of church and state that, that Jefferson writes about to the the Danbury Baptists despite that there's still a, a lot of truth that can be found and applied from biblical texts to uh, to modern political situations or, or phenomena or, or whatever it may be. I would agree with that uh, because ultimately I think it is um, a book that changes lives, right? Your, your personal life. So it will affect you. Um, I just, I, and I do view this tweet as kind of like an underhanded, uh, swipe at Dem- just the current political system in, in general, and maybe you know, maybe it was him just kind of reminding himself um, not to be a fool who repeats folly, you know, whatever that may be for for himself. But trying to yeah, find- that's why I wouldn't read too much into it. I remember Joe Scarborough tweeted on the Fourth of July. Uh, I think I guess it was a, a Ben Franklin a Ben Franklin quote from uh, from obviously years ago of him saying. A republic, if you can keep it, and and somebody, it was probably the Post or the Times or maybe Politico or something like that. Some columnist did an analysis. It was like Joe Scarborough, who obviously had 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 some quite some conflict with the president in the the days following or, or preceding the fourth. 
that he was taking a subtle swipe, a, a subtle swipe at, at the president. Like I don't know. Sure, maybe. I mean, you could understand it as such, but I think we always, maybe not always, but oftentimes we read up, we read into a lot of things more than than ought to, they ought to be read into. If that makes sense. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So, so what do so you? Th- I, so I don't want to. I don't want to say that that Rubio. And I don't know the context. I, I know he tweeted on like the, that that on the twenty sixth or something of June, and we could go back and look at the conversations that were going on that day. We know generally what was going on, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I just I guess it doesn't matter so much whether he was taking a swipe um, to me. Yeah, I agree with that. So, kind of going back to what we were talking about about the overhaul the overall tone of the article um, saying that the, the book of Proverbs is a, uh, is a Republican book. Uh, what do you think? Do you think it is a, uh, do you think there's a distinction between the, you know, the, the Bible and what it teaches in political life or no, do you agree with the author? Uh, do you, do you agree with uh, him in saying that Proverbs is a book for Republicans? Well, he, he pitches it as, as this, as an example that, that Proverbs, in Rubio's case, is being used as uh, sort of a, a confirmation, a case of confirmation bias. And I think, I mean, I think he's on to, actually onto something there, the more I think about it. Because, you, you know, of course, people uh, all the time in political life and uh, political lay people, so to speak, if we're using religious language, uh, use or, or, or pick or... Uh, yeah, use text to sort of confirm their own um, political leanings or persuasions or whatever. Um, maybe rightly in some cases and wrongly in others. But uh, as far as it being a Republican book, I, I don't, I don't really know what that means. To yeah. be honest, I, I'm yeah. not sure what. Uh, I, I guess what the author is trying to say. I, I mean, I think he's trying to suggest that that the Republicans. Are generally, and this is sort of the general public understanding for some, that the Republicans are the party party of, of personal responsibility and uh, and anti poor and all these things. And because Rubio is not not tweeting out all these texts about the poor, that he doesn't care about the poor. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's this is a conversation that, or a sort of a judgment that's not really beneficial or I, I don't know what it tells us in other words. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, and again, yeah, I, I, at the end of the, at the end of the column, he writes that, uh, and I'm quoting Joel Baden here, the author says, it's always nice to know that whatever your ideological persuasion, there's a verse in the Bible just waiting to be appropriated. And then he kind of tongue in cheek says, or as Ecclesiastes puts it for everything, there is a season. I just think that kind of uh, exemplifies uh, the ability for people to match certain verses taken out of context with their ideology. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I mean, the Bible is a vast text with that says a lot of things about a lot of things. Uh, so, so it definitely is is used, uh, I think, properly in many cases and improperly in others. Yeah, sort of. To be to be appropriated, uh, but it's funny. I remember back in I guess January it was when the president created the first travel 
travel ban, for lack of a, a better phrase, a travel uh, mitigation. I don't know, but but one that that kept out uh, the Syrian refu- refugees for I think 120 days. It was, and and I remember some somebody on uh, on Twitter. I don't know if it was a famous person or if I was reading in the comments or something, but but they this person cited the book of Leviticus and the text that points out that uh, that Israel ought to, or, or demands of Israel that it, that it take in the stranger, the foreigner, the refugee, and, and sort of be hospitable to them. And that was a perfect example, because I, uh, I can only assume that this person, I think I can safely assume this, that this person flipped past the 18th chapter or the 19th chapter, whichever, whichever it is that, that uh, calls... Homosexuality is sin, or whatever. So, so certain people will will, of course, sort of pick out those those examples for them themselves. Yeah. So, any any last words you want to say about the article? Bill Clinton employed Proverbs twenty nine eighteen when attempt when accepting the nomination in nineteen ninety two. So, I think it's a pretty ecumenical book i guess you could say yeah yeah uh you know everything especially in, I, I feel like in today's climate uh has as he kind of put every, for everything there is a season right and so right now this is the problem so right now politicians are tweeting out um bible verses that support their position and i think uh i think that will continue uh into eternity <laughs> so Okay, so you know, just kind of wrap up over the next few minutes. Uh, we want to chat about uh, some of the bigger things that are happening in the country right now, uh, and so that includes just our thoughts about the current health care plan. Uh, Rand Paul, Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Beeman, uh, Jeremy, just Jeremy's been writing a lot recently for the Washington Examiner, and he uh, recently wrote an article about Rand Paul, Jeremy. Introduce us to, to Rand Paul and what he's saying about health care really quick. Rand Paul is the lone conservative in Washington. Uh, I don't really believe that. I mean, I think he's one of a few lasting, lasting Republic, uh, conservative Republicans. And I think that this bill that, that the leadership has crafted, <clears throat> Senate leadership has crafted, has really solidified that that he is, is one of the few lasting conservatives obviously obviously he is one that that came out against the bill for different reasons than, than people like dean heller of nevada and susan collins of maine did because they're more moderates but he, he was saying that that it doesn't do enough and uh yeah the column that i recently wrote was entitled Rand paul is going to war with his own party so many of his recent tv appearances in so many of his recent tv appearances uh senator paul has sort of been using language that separates him from the rest of his party. Uh, he, he came out, I think last week or so it, it was, and, and, and supported uh, separating the, the health care discussion into two bills, passing one that can get, get all, every Republican on board to repeal Obamacare, uh, and then, and then having, having another one that would sort of throw in all the federal money and he called it, he called them Christmas tree ornaments and all the billion dollar goodies. Yeah. Uh, but so, so in doing that, he said, he was saying, and this is sort of a, qu- a quote from him, I guess I could cite, uh, read directly from the article, but he basically says 
if we pass the if we separate them in two bills, we can we can appease the conservatives like myself uh, with with the repeal, and then the Democrats and the big government Republicans can go into another room and uh, and work together to to sort of add more money to the situation, something that that he couldn't vote for. Uh, so so yeah, I think and I. Maybe I, I look through this always this lens too often, but I, I think he's obviously setting himself up to run again in uh, 2020, as well as I think John Kasich is. I was reading a Wall Street Journal editorial yesterday, uh, pointing out the shift that uh, that John Kasich has made since the presidential campaign last year, and the, Paul and Kasich are shifting in two different directions. Kasich, of course, used to be in the House of Representatives. He always talked about, I think he was on the House Budget Committee, he always talked about on the campaign how he uh, balanced the budget when he was in in the House. And and he, he also talked about during the campaign the fact that that in, in order to balance the budget, we need to have entitlement reform and all these things. And now, since he since he obviously lost the primary and uh, and we're several several months removed from uh, from the primaries and everything, now he's talking about the cruelty of this bill. Obviously, he's the gover- governor of Ohio, which expanded Medicaid under uh, under the Affordable Care Act, and he's talking about the cruelty of it. So he's really s- switched his uh, sort of switched his tune. Now he's very apprehensive to accept Medicaid reform, which the new proposal, Senate proposal, does. He calls it cruel and and that it's going to you know harm the the op- uh, opioid addicts and all these things. So yeah, I, I, I see the healthcare fight right now as um, a, a catapult for at least a couple of people. I don't see how it helps someone like McConnell in the long run, unless he he uh, waves his his uh, proverbial wand and gets something passed somehow. But but yeah, he he said back he, he McConnell said back in 2013 talked about repealing Obamacare root and branch, and now he's just uh, just sort of shifting dollars around and um and it doesn't look like repeal at all so anyway yeah Rand paul is is uh, is the real deal he's the big voice in washington that i think is combating uh the initiatives of people like bernie sanders yeah uh, briefly also explain what you mean when you say that he is the lone conservative fighting or, or one of the only conservative republicans left in dc um yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot of turmoil within you know the Republican Party over the past year since you know the ascendancy of Trump to uh, to, to presidency. Um, so, so what do you, what do you think right now it means to be the true uh, conservative Republican in D.C.? Well, first of all, he is he actually wants to repeal Obamacare, unlike almost everyone else in his party, um, he, and he, he he's said explicitly he's called uh those republicans who who have crafted the bill right now he's called them weak need saying that, that, that they've gone back on what they uh on what they campaigned on and I, th- I think it's obviously true if you read the provisions of the new bill it's not repeal it doesn't uh it doesn't repeal the taxes it doesn't do all these things that that republicans in the years past under the obama administration used as sort of uh, ammunition in their campaigns. So he, so he is is alone conservative because he wants to again shrink the size of the federal government, 
uh, back to to where it, it should be. And he, he always, of course, cites the Constitution, the founders, and so forth. Um, he wants to uh, to roll back some of these big government measures, whereas a lot of other Republicans simply don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a pretty interesting thing to see him do. Um, you know, we talked about this the other day, and, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I feel I feel like he has a better shot than years past at, at the presidency. I think I think he does too. I, I don't know if it's uh, going to be enough to catapult him, but he does. He he's making a name for him he, himself. He's standing out. Uh, but I want I want to switch because really fast. We're still talking about Rand Paul, but uh, I watched some Young Turk videos uh, y- yesterday uh, after we talked and. They were criticizing uh, Rand Paul for wanting to to get rid of uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and, and they were arguing that uh, if if Democrats or progressive Democrats like Bernie Sanders were to uh, stand up and run uh, a strong campaign in Kentucky and West Virginia, um, you know, kind of where Rand Paul and and the like are, you know, you know, Kentucky's always a, a Republican state or whatever. Um, that they may have a chance because people don't want the type of repeal that Rand Paul is talking about. They want something more in line with a single payer system, um, you know, that completely does away with, with free market values, at least when it comes to I'm not sure to that the people want that yet. I think what the people want is people want people with pre existing conditions to be covered, but they don't want uh, a complete overhaul. They don't want a complete government takeover because. Because we know what you have to compromise when um, when you have a, a federal overhaul of, of a healthcare system, you compromise competition, you compromise access, and all these things. So, I, and this is the reason why. Listen, the only two Democrat Democrats are not, um, and I mean Democrats in Congress are not overwhelmingly coming out to support single payer. The only two that that I know of that have explicitly supported a single payer uh, a single payer system as you see in Europe and Canada and elsewhere are um, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders yeah. uh, Kirsten Gillibrand of, of New York has come out and, and and opted for a single payer in quotes which would allow people especially poor people to buy into Medic, uh, Medicare as a sort of a public option but Democrats are not uh, are not on board with single payer yet yeah. Um <clears throat> And I'm not sure. I'm not sure voters are really either. They just want people to have to um, to be be cared for whenever they're sick, especially if they can't help it. Right. And I agree with that. And I, I think that's the the fight. I briefly looked into Rand Paul's system. I don't know. You probably know way more about it than me. Um, but he's uh, a proponent of something called an association health plan. Do you, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Uh, like the buying groups and so forth. Yeah, the buying groups. Yeah, uh, he and he's arguing that in in his system uh, that people with pre-existing conditions could join the group and have access to insurance that way without the company insurance company ever directly involving themselves with the person that has a pre-existing condition. It yeah, sounds, I think he he cites groups like AARP, which is uh, which works closely with Medicare. Yeah, yeah, for, I, for, uh, for groups like that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that'll be. That doesn't sound bad. The one, the one thing, and you know, kind I just of, don't know how it works. I really don't know how. Right, I, I'm not an expert on it either. I, and theoretically, from the stuff I was reading, you know, church groups, golf clubs, 
the YMCA all could form these special buying groups. Uh, so it would be interesting if uh, if that ever happened to kind of see how it how it plays out. But one more thing, I kind of want to uh, bring up when it comes to Rand Paul and healthcare. I read um, he I don't I don't know where I saw this. I want to say maybe Fox News. He did an interview. But he said the problem with uh, healthcare right now in the free market is that consumers are not able to shop around and, and find the best care, um, which I agree. Like if if the if someone who is sick was able to shop around, it would work just like capitalism works everywhere, right? It would drive down prices. They would be able to pick what's best for them. Uh, my only complaint is that you know if someone has cancer, they don't shop around. It's not like they have time to look for the best programs. They need they need to go somewhere as quickly as possible and preferably somewhere that does their job well, which then incurs thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. Um, so so what do you think what do you think do you think the problem with free market healthcare system is that uh, consumers just don't shop around like they need to be able to or do you think it's uh, something more than that? In part yes, because in part because they can't. So I I'm tra- I've been trying to think of a a good sort of visual analogy that helps us understand uh, the American healthcare system and the, <clears throat> the federal government's involvement. And I think of, of Cadillac Ranch in Amarillo, Texas, which is this open field. And there's like, it's a piece of art, uh, wherein this, this artist buried the, the hood of, they buried these Cadillacs in the field up to the, like the windshield. There's like four or five of them. And people, what people do is they come and visit and take pictures and you can bring a bottle of spray paint and you can spray paint the cars. Have you ever heard of Cadillac Ranch? I have not, but it sounds cool. Yeah, it's not really cool. It's just these cars stuck <laughs> in the ground. But anyway. But you spray paint uh, them, so that's nice. Yeah, people bring spray paint out there and, and just uh, and you know write their name or, or whatever. But when you walk up to the cars, there's years and years of spray paint layers uh, on these cars and you can sort of pull out your knife and try to dig down to the paint but it's virtually impossible to get down to the first layer and sort of the the intersection that I see there with with the, the healthcare system is is over the years legislation has been passed the FDA is has uh, uh, you know made certain regulations and and licensing requirements and so forth. So they, they've added all these layers to the product, and it's hard to, to sort of get through all those things and, and actually get the care. You have all these layers, these bureaucratic layers. So what Rand Paul wants to do is to, is to get the government out of, out of it, um, and, and licensing in many cases and, and taxes in many cases, in order to, to better connect... The two people in the exchange, the doctor and, and the patient, and and have them easier exchange the product, um, and it's gonna it would be tough to do that. I don't see it likely uh, rolling back all these measures. I, I but, think it's impossible, but it's I think it's philosophically sound. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think doing something like that is impossible. I heard a uh, an example. Uh, a couple months ago. I mean, if you start propping a, a house up on so many pillars, you just can't come in and knock down all the pillars. You won't have a house anymore. Um, so it'd be difficult to come back in and, and kind of remove those pillars that have now, you know, are holding who knows how many things up within the government, within the country at large. Um, it'd be difficult. But truly, it, it would be as big, it would be as big a step for us, I think, uh, to transition into a solitary single payer 
healthcare system run and and subsidized by the federal government as it would to be go as it would to go back to a pure uh, a pure free market system. I agree. Removing the regulation. I mean, I think it's a, it's the same step step forward right, the same number of steps forward to the right as it would be to the uh, steps forward to the, to the left. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Um, any any final things you want to say about Rand Paul and health care? I don't think so. The, I know Congress of the Senate starts back in session tomorrow, the House on Tuesday. I think it will obviously be be compelling and interesting debate going on to see where the, the bill moves forward. I know I've, I've seen I think 11 or 12 senators have sent a letter to Mitch McConnell asking him to uh, to quit the August recess, the summer recess, which is a month long, so that they can they can get this legislation passed if it doesn't pass in this session, and to get tax reform passed before the year's up. So yeah, I think they have a lot to cram in. Uh, I, I really don't know where it's going to go. I don't I don't see uh, Senator Paul, Senator Cruz. Uh, ben Sass of Nebraska. I don't see people like that being appeased with the bill as it stands now. So <clears throat> we may we may see some bipartisan uh, some bi- bipartisan agreement here, and it will be the first of this administration. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't know, but on on major sl- legislation, yes, yes. yeah. Okay, um, that is really all the topics we had today to talk about. Um, Jeremy. Uh, you know what? What do you want to leave us with? What philosophical insight do you want to impart to me and to whoever listens to this as we go about the rest of our day and week or month? That's a lot of pressure you put. On. <laughs> I was talking about you about about this with you. I think yesterday or the day before. Many listeners and others have probably seen the the tweets from from NPR on July 4th. Uh, every year, apparently, NPR tweets out pieces of the Declaration of Independence. Um, and, and there were some some people on Twitter who didn't recognize the document. They, they thought that NPR was calling for a revolution, and they were, they were upset about it. They tweeted about it. So, so they didn't recognize this, this foundational document. And I saw a lot uh, in the comments there and, and elsewhere, people on Facebook posting articles about how unfortunate it is that, that so many people in our country don't recognize this document. And I agree that it's, it's sad that, that uh, civil ignorance is at such a level. But, but I would, the people posting those articles and, and uh, the people on Twitter who were upset that those other people didn't recognize the document, that I would exhort them to, to ask if, if there's an important text about which they don't know much or that they wouldn't recognize if it were put in front of them. So I don't know if I have any insight. I would just exhort our listeners, the few that they probably are, to, uh, to read the Constitution this week or read uh, a Federalist paper this week or some, something important uh, to, to give you some insight into uh, you know, our nation's founding. It's always important to look back. Yeah. That's that, is, that is what a conservative does. He looks back. <laughs> very true uh, I just want to thank everyone for joining us uh, however many you are out there that, that took time to listen to us prattle on about health care and, and some articles that we read uh, my one thing I just want to add is uh, you know, just fight the good fight uh, we're in this for truth uh, and that's not subject to whatever we want so thank you thank you